Hey, 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 it's Steven, your host for the Black Doctors Podcast. The idea for this podcast was born from this campaign I launched back in February, hashtag Make Black History. I am continuously inspired by the excellence represented by my peers who have overcome so many incredible obstacles to reach the pinnacle of their success. This podcast forum will provide an avenue to organize these stories for others to listen to and to learn from. This podcast is our stories told by us. I'm going to be talking today with Dr. Kiana Ward, so let's get her on the line. Dr. Ward. Hello. What up? What's going on? Nothing, nothing much is going on. So. <laughs> oh, thank you for this opportunity, please, Dr. Bradley. Please call me Stephen. Stephen, okay. Go, mm, I know your real uh, name. We go way back. We don't need to, we don't need to yes. uh, get into that on here. <laughs> uh, but tell me uh, about your current job. I know you're uh, obstetric. Okay. <laughs> I know you're a faculty member currently in the field of obstetrics and gynecology. You trained in New York. Tell me about your current job and the roles that you, you play at your program. Yeah. Um, so I'm one of the OBGYN faculty members at SUNY Downstate. So it's mainly, you know, delivering patients, seeing, you know, consults and in terms of, you know, surgeries, GYN surgeries, procedures for obstetrics and um, also have an outpatient clinic. So we see a variety of patients, annual follow ups and prenatal visits and stuff like that because I'm at an academic institution. Um, I'm also faculty member that handles the uh, OBGYN residents. So we have a program that's four years that takes six residents every year. Um, I recently became the associate program director. Thank you. (laughs) So I handle a lot of the administrative duties um, for, for the residents, also their, their curriculum and evaluations and stuff like that. I'm also the, uh, clerkship director for the women's health uh, clerkship for third year medical students at SUNY Downstate. So I also run their curriculum and their six week long clerkship. Incredible. And I know you have extensive history in the city of New York. And that's also where you yes. chose to come back and train and ultimately practice. So tell yes. me about that. How much does that mean to you to serve um, that patient population? It, it, means the world to me. Um, I'm originally from New York. Uh, I trained at Howard for med school with uh, Dr. Bradley. Um, so the patient population is, 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 is very similar. I wanted to serve, um, you know, the underserved, the, the patient population that has healthcare disparities, people that look like me, um, because I didn't grow up with a, a doctor in my family, and I, I thought that it was also not only to provide health care to people that look like me, 
but to also serve as an example so that people know that this is attainable, that they can go into medicine. Absolutely. And along the same lines, uh, what drew you to the field of obstetrics and gynecology? Uh, you know, actually, when I when I started med school, I thought I was going to go into anesthesia. Hmm. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to do obstetrics. It was the one thing I said I would never do. Um, and then, if you remember, first year of med school, like the first two years, they make you do like shadowing in um, your field of interest. And so I shadowed anesthesia, and I was just like, "Yeah, this is <laughs> this is not for me." <laughs> I was like, "I can't like." You don't really, for me, I, I wanted that, that patient lifelong bond. Easy now. We're about to drop this connection. We're about to drop this phone call. (laughs) You know what I mean? You know, I wanted to know my patients and see them, you know, a different, you know, aspects of their life. And, you know, I felt like for me, that was something that was really important when it was time for me to decide on a specialty. And when I thought about it, for me, anesthesia didn't fulfill that, but, you know, obstetrics and gynecology did. And, you know, I was able to, I'm, I'm able to operate, you know, I'm able to go into clinic. I can switch up and drop of a hat. So, and it was also important to me to have some academics and some teaching in there mm-hmm. as well. So, you know, it fulfilled it a hundred percent. Well, for what it's worth, I think it's a good fit for you. Um, I definitely appreciate your expertise. I don't know if you remember when I was an intern and I was working in the emergency department, that godforsaken place, and I had to call you for a, a curbside consult. You know, it's it's something that happens fairly often. I have a lot of colleagues that do call me and are like, well, I just got some questions. I have a question. I have more. I have an OB question. I have a GYN question. It happens fairly frequently. Oh, oh yeah. And I, actually, I forgot about all them personal consults I've been calling you for, but we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so when it comes to OB, now that you have finished residency, you're board certified, you're assistant program director, clerkship director, what is your lifestyle like? Um, you know, the first year after, after residency, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was tough. Um, because, you know, I was taking a lot of call. I had, you know, a lot of different responsibilities and I was also trying to study and prepare for the, the oral board. So the first year was a little tough And it was because I feel, you know, I took on a lot, but that's what I felt like I could handle. And I was able to, you know, succeed in that. I still, you know, take a decent amount of call and probably on call once a week and every other weekend. But I still am able to go out, see my family, have fun, shop, do the things that I like to do. So, you know, I I think... You know, when I was originally thinking about OBGYN, I remember a lot of our classmates were just like, Keanu, are you sure you want to do this? You sure you want to do this? I think it was some aspect of the specialty was, you know, time consuming, um, but it's definitely changed a lot now that you have hospitalists and laborists. Um, you don't have to get that three o'clock call, 3 a.m. call of your patient in labor. You now have someone in the hospital that's covering that service. Yeah. So you know, the specialty and the time has gotten a lot better. One thing I didn't realize in medical school and didn't realize till halfway through residency is that you actually choose the practice 
in which to work. So there's so much flexibility yeah. in terms of being that labor Absolutely. is being in hospital, the doc in the box. Yeah. Yeah. Coming in to deliver your patients. Absolutely. You know, and you could choose to work with the underserved. You could choose to do that boutique. Um, yep. You know, fancy yep. medicine. But um, absolutely. Absolutely. For everybody. Absolutely. That's what I like so much about it. It was so much variety and you could tailor your practice into what you wanted it to be. There's so many throughout the country and I'm sure you can find one that suited, you know, the aspects of your life that was so important to you. Um, so with your role as the clerkship director, what do you observe in students? Things they do poorly that piss you off, things they do well. What makes a good student on a clerkship? Oh. <laughs> I hope none of my students are listening to this. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I realize that the students that come to downstate understand the patient population that they're dealing with. And, you know, just as the same with the residents, you know, they understand the, the shortcomings of resources and funding and they don't let that get them down. They take that and they find very creative ways to support or provide services to our mm -hmm. patients. So I think the students, residents go above and beyond for our patients and try to provide the best care that they can. They definitely understand, you know, like I said, the shortcomings of how our patient population is seen in society. Mm -hmm. they, they are culturally competent so, you know, that that is beneficial, especially if you might not look like the person that you're providing care to. Something that I wish that they did a little bit better, understanding, you know, that they have to, for me, medical school was not just about being taught something. It was also self-directed learning. And I wish that they... Some people take it very seriously and some people like to be spoon fed information. And I think they need to realize that for the rest of your life, it's going to be something that you're going to have to learn on your own. So it's going to be a lot of self-directed learning. So they'll eventually get it. Some people get it earlier than others. And that's just something that I try to teach them very early Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Like it's so clutch you mentioned that. I know in medical school, I kind of thought, uh, life in the world revolved around me because I'd made it this far and was paying so much money. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But on mm -hmm. this side, as an attending, oh my God, you know, I'm so mm -hmm. busy trying to teach residents that with the medical students, they can definitely get lost in the in the sauce. Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to break down yeah. information on a level that they can learn something from it every day. And if they don't mm -hmm. take ownership of that, you know, they're going to mm -hmm. gonna have a, a disservice during the program. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so what do you look for in residents? Because, you know, a lot of people are going to be uh, applying to obstetric and gynecology, just in a general sense. What makes mm -hmm. a good OB resident? Oh, you know, somebody that can adapt, you know, very quickly. Someone that, you know, because in a drop of a hat, like everything can be very cool on the labor floor. In a drop of a hat, you know, some stuff can get real, real quick. <laughs> And you just like, I was just sitting here like sipping my tea. I didn't really think that this baby was going to be deselling like this. And now we got to do a stat and then all these other, you know, complications. But luckily, you, anesthesia you never is know. Johnny on the spot. And we're ready with the quickness. <laughs> anyway, sometimes you got to page them and call them. And, you know, they're laying down. They're taking their call breaks and all this kind of stuff. 
so <laughs> you gotta find them. But um, the the residents that I think go mesh very well with our program, like I said, ones that you know understand the patient population that we're dealing with and and knows that there 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 are a lot of different health inequities and and disparities that affect the care and and you know lifelong conditions of our patients and that we have to be very creative in, you know, not how we just treat our patients, but how we just interact. There's some things that I can say to some of my young patients when I come in and, you know, I got on X, Y, and Z. They're like, Dr. Ward, I didn't know, I didn't know it was like that. I didn't know you wore that. And I'm like, well, you know, (laughs) I'm from, you know, I'm from here too. So yeah, it's like that. You know, we want people that have some drive in terms of research and education, teaching that are able to take constructive criticism because it's it's hard every day. Like the residents give me feedback on things that I can do better and I shouldn't take it in a personal way. It's just in a way to make myself better. So I want the exact same thing for them. People that can sit down and, you know, laugh and have a good time. Don't take themselves too seriously. So let's yeah. go back to young Kiana. When did young Kiana decide to go into medicine? Uh, I was three. I, I was like, I was three years old. And I remember my father asked me like, oh, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to be a lawyer. Hmm. Yeah. So part of that, <laughs> part 50, of that 50. <laughs> worked. <laughs> I know. <laughs> So ever since then, I had always stuck with that. I remember one summer, my grandmother had gotten sick, and I remember taking care of her, and, and it solidified that that was what I wanted to How do. How you know what a doctor was at three? Uh, I, you know, watching the Huxtables. True. You're right. I mean, that, that is what it is. And I think as a lot of us, our first exposure oh, to yeah. um, what a, a black physician looked like. Um, yeah, yeah. The Cosby Show. Yeah. Incredible. So then you went through high school, college. Like yeah. At what point did it get real that, like, holy crap, I've got to buckle down and it's not going to be easy? Uh, it was It was actually high school. I, I transferred schools in my sophomore year and I had ended up in one of the, the um, medical science programs. So I was in like more of the excelling classes. I knew then, I said, I knew I wanted to go to college. I knew where I wanted to go. Um, And then when I got to college, it was really just about learning how to study. So it got real when it was time for me to take the MCAT and apply. And for me, I had, I'm not going to lie, I had to take the MCAT a few times just because standardized tests, I really didn't know how to study for it. So I I did have to take it a few times before I, I excelled at it. Uh, definitely shows determination. And when you went from college to medical school, how was that transition? When I graduated, I went to Morgan State uh, University for undergrad. And then I did a year at American University in a post-bac program. So it was basically to help me transition from college into med school. I'm really grateful and I'm, I'm really glad that that's, you know, how my pathway ended up going. I think 
I probably would have had some difficulty if I had to transition straight from college to medical school. And I'm glad I did that year because it really pushed me and it forced me to buckle down. And I felt as though when it was time for me to go to, to Howard, I was I was more prepared and I felt as though I could handle it. Um, as a black female physician, you know, you're a, what's that, a double minority when it comes to medicine. So I know yeah. we've yeah. all faced some some difficult times along the way. What are some examples yeah. that you, you know, if you might, don't mind sharing of discrimination or different experiences you've had that you had to overcome? Mm -hmm. So like for me, it's it's like I receive it from multiple different venues or, or avenues. You know, sometimes I might receive it from the patient that is like, oh, you have this this young black doctor. You know, I, I want the doctor that that doesn't look like me because I, I may trust that information a little bit mm -hmm. more. So I, I've had that happen. I've had it from, you know, attendings where it's well, you know, she's a female, I, you know, I'm going to talk to her a certain type of way, not realizing who they're talking to. And then I might not be the one that you want to, you want to try that with. You might want to try that with somebody else. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, you see it from, like, I walk into meetings and, and people, you, you can see it on people's face that, you know, they may hear around the med school, oh, Dr. Ward, Dr. Ward, Dr. Ward, but they, they, they're not able to put a face to the name. And then when I walk into the room, they're kind of shocked that you have this young black doctor who after two years of residency, I've accomplished these things and, you know, board certification, it, it shocks them. So you can see it on their face. Like, Oh, you're so young. Yeah. And I'm also very black as well. Next. So, yeah. So you told me you know, a story about one time and it's so important because people are always watching, whether it's students or residents. Um, yeah. You told me you were at a meeting. You know, we can leave, uh, we can change names and stories so they're not identified. Yeah. Uh, but you're at a meeting with some of your students and another faculty member. Uh -huh. Yes, yes. He did something. Yes. Yes, yes. We were at what, what um, Downstate does. There's a... a um, a program called the CARE program is career um, exploration and recruitment. And what they do is they like to have people from various specialties come and sit down with groups of students that are, are you know, thinking, have some interest, but really don't want to know. And it provides that early exposure in like the first year. So we're sitting down. I'm, you know, my awesome, fun, you know, <laughs> self, if you <laughs> having a good old laugh. So yeah, anyway, you know, you know what it is. And, you know, I'm sitting there, we're having a good old conversation. I'm telling them about a C-section for a patient that we did with a BMI 65. Now, I don't know if anybody knows what BMI 65 looks like, but it's hard. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're talking about like the challenges of the surgery and, you know, we're having a chuckle. And I guess maybe the way I was telling the story, the students thought it was funny and, you know, they're, they're laughing. This Caucasian older attending looks over and shushes us. Mm. 
we're not, you know, we're not at a, you know, at a party or something like that. Something that he said. So I got up out of my seat and I walked over to him and I was like, I'm Dr. Ward. I don't think you know who I am. I am the associate program director and the clerkship director. The next time that you have a problem, you can come over to our table and ask us to, you know, tone it down. But we're not in a library. So I told the lady running, I was just like, I don't know if it was because I was young, if it was because I was black, if or if it was because I was a female. I don't really know, but you can choose what you like, and I suggest that you don't invite him anymore. And they did not. Yeah, and I think that's so important because of the example you set for those students that were watching you and looking up to you. Because these microaggressions and even macroaggressions occur so frequently. I think part of that, that, that New Yorker you, man, um, be coming out. Nah, I was like, nah, nah. I was like, no, uh-uh, not today. <laughs> <laughs> not today, Satan. No, 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 no. Oh, <laughs> uh, geez. So definitely an excellent career and role for you to, to work in. Yeah. What are you incredibly passionate about in terms of your field, your career trajectory, so there, there's the the academic side to me. I like educating. I like teaching students, residents, um, because I, I think that's really important. I remember my experience at Howard, and you know, I wanted to emulate that. I wanted to, you know, even if people weren't thinking about OBGYN, they could at least appreciate me as an educator and their experience on the rotation. And I, I think that I think that's definitely something that a majority of the students feel and they get. I'm I'm passionate about providing quality care to patients that look like me. I don't feel as though I need to have or I don't feel as though my patients need to go to some Ivy League institution to get quality care. They can come to where I'm employed and know that the care that they're receiving is top notch. And also just being able to show them like, hey, you have someone that looks like you know that I, I have your mm -hmm. back and I, you know, I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that you leave the hospital in one piece with your with your child. Yeah. And, and, and there's know? so much information overload and there's so many stories in the news about especially black women yeah. going into the hospital yeah. to have um, a baby and the circumstances involved, they end up with extreme morbidity yeah. or mortality, you know, senseless uh as it seems, yeah. death for mm -hmm. things that are ignored. What would you say to people? Because it's, it's starting to engender fear in the community and concern that as a black female, mm -hmm. you know, you're not um, as cared for as, as other people. What would you say to those mm -hmm. people that have those concerns? I personally think it's it's definitely a concern that is warranted, like, there's no one out there that can say that these concerns aren't something that we see and is not realistic. It just is. If you look, you know, over time and look through issues and things that have might have had might have happened in, in the past, like it's realistic for someone of color to to feel as though, you know, when I go to the hospital, I might have different outcomes compared to someone that doesn't look like me or someone that's Caucasian or 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 of another ethnicity is realistic. I think the important the important thing that needs to happen is, you know, there needs to be a, a rising or increase in, in people of color that are in the field yeah. 
so people feel comfortable and they feel as though, you know, I'm, I'm going to make sure that nothing happens to you because I understand the trials and tribulations that are going on in your life. I've likely suffered from some of those things. So there's a mutual understanding between the two of us that I'm just going to make sure that I'm going to provide the same information that I provide to the same patient to you. And I want you to choose based on, you know, your life experiences and, and your health and, and a lot of other different things. Absolutely. So being educated and having, you know, that exposure and people that are in the field, like I said, I'm, I'm the first doctor in my family. So a lot of times when there's something going on with a family member, who do they call? They call me. Now I'm not a urologist. I, I can't help, <laughs> but you know, having that person in your family, that's a physician or medicine. You, you think like, Hey, well, they probably know what's going on. So they feel safe. That's so important. Tell me about birth plans, because as an anesthesiologist, I'm only peripherally involved, but I do see some crazy birth plans that come across the desk. You know, I keep it moving usually, yeah. but what's one of the craziest, yeah. you know, if you can say without, you know, HIPAA violation or whatever. No, I, I can't say. say, I can't say. <laughs> what I will say about birth plans, to me, I, for, for me, when a patient comes in and I see them for the first time and they're they're initiating prenatal care with me and I'm their physician, I'm their obstetrician, having a conversation about what's going to happen throughout the pregnancy, what's to be expected, different modes of delivery, to me is a birth plan, a prenatal plan. I explain to all of my patients, hey, given your history, it is realistic for you to think that this mode is going to happen versus this mode. You need to be understanding and realistic that, you know, sometimes emergencies happen. You may need to end up with an emergency procedure. And that might not have been something that you were expecting, but I want you to know about that well in advance. So to me, it's all about having a conversation, not going into that paternalistic thought or theory and telling patients what they're going to do allowing them to be fully knowledgeable about everything that can happen early on and multiple times so that when it's time for them to come in, it's not about making a plan. It's about having the safest delivery. Awesome. Great answer. Sure you made a lot of people happy. <laughs> and uh, let's, let's, in closing, what would you say to people about the stereotype of obstetricians? How would you change that uh, that uh, perception? You know, sometimes when I talk to people, they're, they're a little worried about their rotation, especially students. They're always worried because they're like, oh, I heard this rotation. You know, people are, you know, a little tougher. They may be mean. I tell them at the end of the day, you're shadowing a physician that is trying to make sure that not only a woman but her baby also leaves the hospital safely without any problems. So sometimes you have to be very understanding of the emergencies that may happen. And you, you need to understand that. I think there was a time period where OBGYNs were constantly on call and overworked. And I think in terms of like time management and sleep deprivation, that definitely plays a role on people's attitudes and their interactions. I can definitely say now, I think, you know, a lot of the people I interact with now are, you know, a lot happier. They're probably getting a lot more sleep. 
and you know they they're they're getting back to the point where they realize like this is why I got into this specialty, and I think students and residents appreciate that. Yeah, I think so too. Definitely uh, helps to set the expectations and realizing that yeah, people are overworked. Residents are overworked, and they don't yeah. have time yeah. to cater to to students. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody deals with stress differently. Yes. So it is. It is what it is. Always. Especially, yeah. Especially when you go, like we go into OBGYN, our our viewpoint is a little different compared to other specialties because we're we we go into it wanting to bring life and to have women give birth and and that whole process. When bad outcomes happen, I think it it does hit some of us a little harder because. You know, that's not something that we anticipate. We have younger patients that can tolerate a lot of different con- conditions and procedures compared to patients that may be a little older that you may see in other specialties. So when you hear about, you know, a maternal death or, or, or fetal demise, those things tend to hit us a little harder. Yeah. And I think some people may may take it a little differently. If you were to sit down and have coffee with anybody, yeah. who would it be? Ooh, it could be anyone. I I'm gonna have to say my aunt Trudy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, Stephen, you you met my <laughs> yeah, aunt, my aunt, <laughs> my aunt Trudy. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is my father's oldest sister. She passed away. I think it was two years into my residency. And, you know, she was outside of like, you know, my mother, father and sister. She was probably one of my biggest supporters when I was applying to OBGYN and went on all these interviews. She she traveled to all these places with mm-hmm. me. She had just retired. Um, and, you know, she she provided me with, you know, a different outlook on a lot of the, you know, life issues and stuff that. Know, black women have to go through and I, I I would love to hear that if I could hear that one more time that was so, great uh, yeah I remember Aunt Trudy yeah. and I remember uh, <laughs> uh you definitely dealing with that tough time in residency and that, that just goes to show you know back to our previous point you yeah. never know what people are dealing with in residency you dealt Absolutely. with um, losing a family member losing a, a co-resident yeah. that was near and dear to all of us um and yeah you just had to, you pushed on through that it just speaks to how incredibly strong you are um it's yeah. so important that you share your story with us um, because other people are absolutely going through some of the same things. If our listeners wanted to contact you uh, for maybe follow up questions, I know you're extremely busy with your job. What is the best way to kind of get in touch with you? Oh, my email address, my kayana.ward at downstate.edu. Uh, I was also thinking about making a, a general public o, uh, OB mm-hmm. page on Instagram, but you know, I haven't done that yet. Uh, yeah, get on it. <laughs> we got to try and get that where that uh, figs, that figs uh, discount code. <laughs> I just ordered some figs. Oh, Lord, you pay full price? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I found a coupon. You know, you know I don't pay full price for anything. I can't. Dr. Ward. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for for joining us on this week's episode of the Black Doctors Podcast, where you will hear inspiring stories of minority professionals. Our stories told by us.